Hello, and thank you for joining the North Point Church Lutes podcast. We're excited that you found us, and we pray that you'll come back often and listen again and again. Each week, we upload the content preached in one of the North Point Church services here in Lutes, and we pray that you'll come back and listen and marinate on what it is that God was teaching us. The more that these messages get into your heart, the more that you have the opportunity to be obedient and allow them to change your life. We believe that God is real and His Word is true, and that has the power to change your life. So let's lean in together and see what it is that God has in store for you today. In the final moments of that song and uh, just hearing your collective voices worshiping God back there, I just about broke down in tears back there. I'm telling you, there's something beautiful about hearing our voices praising Him. There's a sweet spirit in this place today. And I'm just so grateful for the presence of our Lord and for the privilege of being able to worship Him in this place. Uh, what a joy. And so thank you for uh, just uh, yielding to Him in uh, that, that worship time today. I'm excited to be able to talk to you about this topic um, on, on many levels. One of the big levels is because God has taught me a lot of things through this topic. Uh, and I will say it's still very much a work in progress in my life. But as I told you a few weeks ago, uh, as a result of being gone on sabbatical, there's many things that God's doing in me that I feel a sense of responsibility from a discipleship standpoint to be able to talk to you about. Some of the things I've talked to you about before in the past, and so there's going to be a little overlap of some of the topics that we've talked about. So, uh, but I hope to bring out some, some new things, because as God teaches me things, just like you in your life, there's some progressive understanding of, of some of that as it develops in your life. So we understand God's doing some work. He's teaching things to us all. And uh, some things become clearer as we walk down a path. And, and so I want to be able to show those things to you as we walk through. But today I want to talk about invisible dangers. The theme of this message series has been invisible. We've been seeking the face of invisible God as we have an invisible faith. Uh, and we have uh, this in, invisible power we'll talk about soon uh, and, and, and multiple, multiple pieces of the story. But today we're talking about an invisible danger. And, and I'll talk about uh, how we can deal with this danger in such in a moment. But let me begin by saying, uh, telling you a little story. So um, many of you know Jason Meekum. He's one of our elders. He is about nine foot, uh, nine foot ten. <laughs> I don't know. He's like this big. I mean, I'm a tall guy. I'm like six, three and a half. He makes, I'm like, when I hug him, I'm like, I feel tiny, you know, very one of the few people that make me feel tiny, which I love about that. Uh, but Jason's one of our elders, and about a year ago, he spoke to our student ministry, and uh, he had an illustration that I just absolutely loved, and, uh, and it happened to do with brownies. And so the illustration about brownies, uh, he asked the students a very simple question, and I want to ask you the same question today. And here's the question. He said, how much dog poop... <laughs> It's a student ministry, so you have to just kind of go with that. How much dog poop is an, ex- is, is an acceptable amount of dog poop to mix in your favorite chocolate brownie recipe? How much is an acceptable amount that you can mix into your recipe? Is it one cup? No. Is it, is it a half a cup? Three-quarter cup? A tablespoon? A teaspoon? A dash? How about just a pinch? None of it. Uh, you know, there's none that's acceptable because it works its way through the entire batch, right? I mean, what a simple, 
simple, easy to think about shelf to put this on. Now, in my sick sense of humor, I asked my daughter Jordan to make brownies for the band this morning, and so in the green room, it's just full of brownies, and so they learned first service about my sense of humor, so hopefully, but the brownies were good, and they were not tainted, and so I, in any way, shape, or form, I promise, but, um, but that's just a little fun, but um, a little poo works its way through the whole batch. And a little yeast does the same thing with dough, right? We know that. And in God's Word, it talks about yeast. Yeast is, is something that uh, God's Word, or multiple times God's Word refers to yeast in multiple metaphors. The Apostle Paul tells us about yeast, and he uses it as a metaphor for sin. And he, he refers to it in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He says this, he says, Don't you realize that, that this sin is a, like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. Now, in Paul's context, in this passage, he's, re- he's speaking about sin and the problems that are associated in, in the church at the time with some toxic people. And he's saying that if this is left unchecked, that this is going to eventually spread throughout the entire church, and this is what's causing the trouble that he's dealing with. But the same principle that, that can affect a church, or maybe you've seen this take place with negativity within your corporate space, in your office, or, your, uh, or some other friend group, or a team, uh, that same little bit of, of yeast, so to speak, or sin, it can corrupt um, in, a, uh, in, a, in an organization, but it also has the power to work in your mind. That little bit of sin has the power to affect your mind in a powerful way. Sin, like yeast, it infiltrates and it spreads across the mind and it infiltrates and affects every area until it reaches and ensnares and entangles the heart. James tells us this in James chapter 1, verse 15. He would describe it, uh, you, you probably memorize this first when it talks about how there's a progression of sin that that once it's been kind of engaged or enticed, it, it begins to kind of grow. And then once it grows, it gives way to sin. And then that sin leads eventually to death. You, you may be familiar with that passage of Scripture. It's that progressive nature, and it doesn't get better. It's a downward spiral of sin that leads to destruction. Well, that sin, it eventually, when it infiltrates our minds, it has a, a path, and that path has a destination, and that destination is to ensnare and entangle the heart. Ultimately, what Satan would love to do is have it hit the heart and then ultimately captivate and capture the soul of every person. But talking to a group of people that in a church, realizing that there's a vast majority of us here today that are Christians, Satan has already lost the ultimate battle for your soul. But he has not stopped fighting, and nor will he ever stop fighting to gain real estate in the sanctuary of your heart. He will never stop working to try to gain that space. You see, Satan knows that God created your heart as a special and sacred place, a place that God created for you and for him to abide together, a holy place, a special place, a sanctuary. And Satan will do anything to invade that sacred space and turn what is holy and intended to be a place of safety and comfort, of truth, into a place of darkness and a place of lies, a place to cloud your thinking, a place to rob your joy, 
a place to destroy your, your testimony, a place to, to change your thinking even about yourself, to, to affect your beliefs, to affect every bit of your action, to adjust your faith, to adjust what you find is truth, to ultimately render you powerless and ineffective and useless to the kingdom of God. The most confusing part, I think, to all this is that most of us in the room would already say, yeah, I, I know that. <laughs> Most of us would have said, yeah, I've heard actually you talk about this before if you've been to church here long enough. The crazy thing is, is that even though we have knowledge of that, so many of us in the room do very little to guard and protect our heart. Why in the world is that? I think it's somehow that we believe that we've grown invincible or we think that we somehow are impenetrable or we think that we are a little too, I don't know, maybe we're overconfident, that we think that, we, that we're not going to be affected by those adverse effects of those invisible dangers that affect, that are attacking and affronting and bombarding our minds on a daily basis. You hear me? I, I think that maybe we don't think that those invisible dangers, although we know they're present, we know in this world, I mean, good grief, listen, you, you can't turn the TV on, you can't watch a movie, you can't read a book, you can't see a billboard without going, it's just everywhere, right? There's, just, there's, there's stuff out there competing for our minds, right? But most of us, I think somehow think, that's ah, fine, I'm, I'm, it doesn't really bother me. Because we've, we're desensitized to it to a degree because we've been exposed to it for so long. And we have some level of stability in the way that we operate that we don't think it's hurting us. And we've somehow believed that we've grown invincible to the adverse effects of those invisible dangers that affront and bombard our minds on a daily basis. But 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12 tells us something that I think we need to hear. It says, if you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. Proverbs 4.23 says that we should guard our hearts above all else, for it determines the course of our lives. We must guard and protect Because sinful content is everywhere. Things that want to invade our mind, and where do they want to go? Our heart. What do they want to do? They want to entangle. They want to ensnare. They want to capture. Why? Because Satan wants to invade the very space that God and you need to be together. It's your sanctuary. It's that sacred space. Sinful, sensual, hurtful, hateful, divisive, Crude content is everywhere we turn, on TV, on social media, on the radio, on ads that pop up, on things that you're surfing, on billboards that you drive past, on the news, all orchestrated by Satan to infiltrate the mind of the world, Christian and non-Christian, with the goal of targeting and ensnaring your mind and ultimately your heart. 
We need to hear that. Because we are not invincible to those invisible dangers. God's word is telling us over and over and over again to protect our minds, guard our minds. He's telling us that we need to renew our minds. He's telling us that we need to be transformed in our minds. He's constantly reminding us that there's a pathway between our mind and our heart. We cannot be duped into thinking that just because you had a rough childhood and just because you think I'm okay, it's not affecting us. Because it does. If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. So what are we supposed to do? Well, we have to be careful not to fall. And we have to be wise in order to know what to do about this. Because while these dangers are invisible for the most part, and while they're coming at us in all different angles, they're dangerous. But we're not invincible and we are a target. So write this down in your notes somewhere. I'm not invincible. I'm not invincible to these invisible dangers. Just accept it and acknowledge it. Because there's something about writing that down that's going to free yourself to say, okay, I just have to admit that. Because until you can say, I, okay, I do, I do understand it. There is a danger. The moment that your pride says, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, you're not going to listen to anything else I have to say, but at least acknowledge to yourself, I'm not invincible. We can't be fooled into thinking these things are harmless. Or just, they're just negative influences that I can tune out. We've got to understand these are well-planned, dangerous strategies of Satan that are targeting your sanctuary of your heart that God is wanting you to protect for him and him alone. It's where he will do his greatest work and transformation in you. It is where you will have the greatest level of transformation and joy. And it is where you will see the greatest level of victory in your life. It is where your faith will grow the most. We must protect it at all costs. That's why it's so important to understand the strategies of Satan. And so I have written down four. If you grab the message guide, you'll have those here handy for you. If not, you'll want to write some notes. But I, I've, I've listed four different strategies. They're kind of cheesy in how I've named them, but you know, maybe it'll help you remember with my dumb naming conventions of things. But, but the first one is pretty simple, and I think you'll get it because Scripture uses these phrases, so they're not as cheesy. It's, but the first one is a prowler and predator mode. Satan is a prowler and a predator. 1 Peter 5.8 says that we should stay alert. We have to watch out for our great enemy, the devil, because he prowls around like, a, around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And so he's looking for the opportune moment to attack. He is looking for people and, 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 and opportunities with you when you're weakest, uh, when you're vulnerable, when, when you are going through times of depression, when you have times of isolation. And if you're going through a difficult circumstance in your life where, where the stakes are high and the tensions are high and you're going through just pressure upon pressure, you just have to know that Satan is looking for an open door of opportunity to insert a lie inside your mind or to get you to bait you into some sin in your life. Really, those are his two strategies primarily. It it's, it's gets you to bait over to sin because that will separate you from God. Or to put a lie inside your mind in order to get you to believe something, to chase after something else which will ultimately separate you from God. He will bait you in with something dark. 
He will bait you in with something sensual, something crude, or something immoral, or some lie that will simply take you off the wrong path. And those lies that you will begin to entice and to take on will begin to grow quickly in your mind until they take up valuable space and become deep roots. The next thing that he does, he's a hacker. We know what a, hack, what a hacker is, right? Like a computer hacker. We're familiar with computer hackers, and it's basically the same thing that Satan's attempting to do. He wants to try to plant things inside our minds. And so we, we're familiar with the phrase Trojan horse. It refers back to something that was you know, in ancient times, but, but we use it now. We've redefined it as something that we know that in the software world, in the computing world, that, that we, we see this play out. But, but the definition, the modern definition, is something that's secretly planted with the intention to undermine or bring about the downfall of an enemy or an opponent. In computing, a Trojan horse is a program that's designed to breach the security of a computer system while performing destructive or damaging or criminal activity. Satan is that level of hacker. He's sneaking in uh, in some way to try to get infiltrate and to infiltrate our mind and plant what, a lie, which is basically a malware inside of our mind or, or some type of sin that will eventually grow, that will eventually bring a, a future malicious purpose that, he will, that it will serve. He plants lies inside of you that, will, uh, that are intended to affect your belief. And so these lies, originally, they're, they're in a front that, that are here to affect what you believe in God's Word. And so he will give you a lie that is something inconsistent here. And so and he'll do one, two, three, or four of these lies, and eventually you start reading God's Word, because here, here's what happens with, with, the, with the lie, is a lie becomes something that you eventually believe, and your beliefs drive your, your decisions and actions and behavior. And so as, as these things begin to take roots deep inside your life, all of a sudden you have, you have, you're, you're behaving different. You're thinking differently. And so he will plant a lie inside your life to change the way you think about God. He will plant a lie inside your life to change the way you think about yourself. The way you see yourself in the mirror, the way you believe about your identity, he will, he will plant a, a lie inside your life to make you think differently about others. And his goal is to isolate you away from other people, to get you to turn on yourself, to get you to turn on God, and to doubt his truth. But ultimately, those lies will continue to grow until it affects your behavior. Those lies eventually affect behavior. And they'll affect your decisions. Suddenly, you're acting different. Your, your choices are different. Your, your conscience is different. Your, your moral barometer, it seems like you're just a different person in the way that you're behaving. Why? Because this lie is growing. It's taking root. Your morals shift. Your norms shift. The way you vote shifts. Your biases shift. Why? Because suddenly what you're reading in Scripture doesn't seem to anymore make sense to you. And you're reading God's word and he seems like he's not a fair God anymore. Because suddenly the way you feel doesn't line up to what you think God should be. And so God is no longer seeming to add up in my mind. And so I either have to, recon I have to reconcile that God, is, this is wrong. Or I've got to go find another God that matches my image. 
Or I've got to say that these pages that I'm reading are not accurate. And if, because if they're accurate, then my God's not right. So these pages must be wrong. Do you see what ends up happening? This is Satan's goal. If I can get you to doubt this, well, then my job is easier. So whether it's a sin or whether it's a lie, I got to get it in your mind. This is what Satan's thinking. Let it grow until it entangles your heart and affects what your understanding of truth is about yourself and the world around you, but most importantly about your God. That's exactly how a hack would work inside a computer system. You realize that's how the idols in your life are formed? That's exactly. If you're dealing with an idol in your life, a couple weeks ago I was talking about idols. I, and, I, and, I, and I was very transparent with you this service. I said, man, I, I, I didn't realize I dealt with idolatry in my life. I kind of thought that that wasn't something I struggled with. And then God re- helped me understand that for me, it, my idolatry was, was with food. And it really personified itself through the stress that we're going through with my wife's cancer because over the last you know, year, I'd, I'd gained like 50 or 60 pounds. It was just insane. And I, and I, and I could no matter what I would do, I couldn't lose weight through the anxiety, through the stress, through the coping, through all, all these different things. And God, and, and God finally helped me understand there were lies that I was believing and that I was using food as a God. That whenever I was finding myself in a place where I was dealing with, where I needed comfort, instead of going to God for that, I would go to that. I'd go to food. When I was feeling a place of complete anxiety and stress, when I needed peace, I would turn to food for comfort and and peace instead of turning to God. When I was was anxious, when I was joyful, it was was the thing I would bow to, and I didn't realize it, but it was was when I would go to bed at night, I was furious at myself. I was broken at myself, and Satan was having me turn on myself in disappointment and anger. I would look at myself and say things to myself of such disappointment. I was doubting my credibility to stand in front of you and speak. Satan was having a field day with, dis- with trying to disqualify me to be able to speak to you. And I said, man, heck with that. Because the Lord helped me understand it's an idol. You put it in this place, you put me back in my right place, we'll fix this. And, the, and it comes with trying to identify the lies that I was believing, putting God back in the proper place. And, and my wife can tell you that what I'm getting ready to say is not a lie to you in what one way, shape, or form I'm a professional dieter, folks. I've been dieting my entire life. My entire life. Okay, I'm, the, I'm that kid that was the fat kid. Everyone always picked me last for every team. Okay, I'm that kid. But for the last three months, I have consistently dropped weight, and I am not on some physical, silly diet where I'm restricting my life. My weight continues to drop, and I am so happy with what God's done. I finally, in the first time in my life, I'm not where I want to be. I'd love to be thinner, but I have freedom around food that I've never had before. <laughs> praise God. And, I, and man, praise God. And if you struggle with an addiction in any capacity of your life that you don't have freedom around, I'm telling you, there is freedom available. And if you're beginning to think that God doesn't have power to deal with this issue, it's probably a God in your life, and he's going to let your God handle it for you. Because that's what he was doing for me. I'm like, God, fix it, fix it, fix it. He goes, like, oh, you have a God. Go let him handle it for you. 
Good grief. It wasn't until I saw it in Isaiah 41, Isaiah 42, Isaiah 43, he was calling it out. Let your God rescue you. And it broke my heart. But, the, but once I began to see where that lie was rooted in, and once I began to see how I was running to those things and not to him, and all I got to do is remind myself of that, slow my roll down enough to let myself sit in those emotions and trust God and realize he's enough. It gives me freedom, and I'm getting healthier. I can't explain it other than praise God. And I hope to get back down to my birth weight one day. <laughs> That'd be great, wouldn't it? All emaciated. So. To God be the glory, folks. I share that testimony. It's embarrassing to share. But the same side is, I'm not going to let Satan have a victory. He wanted me to step off this stage because I can't find victory. But I'm turning it around for his glory. So whatever it is that you're dealing with, don't let him ruin your platform. Just get rid of your idol and put him back in the right position. Satan is a strategist, the next thing that he is. He's playing a long game. You may not recognize it in your life. It's harder to see. But it's really easy to see if you just watch TV. How old are you? I'm I'm 52. As long as I've been alive, I can look back at TV from the Brady Bunch all the way to today's television, and I can see he's been playing a long game of distorting my views. He's changed television dramatically. He's desensitized me. He's overstimulated me. He's overexposed me, and he's normalized things even to me today that I have now accepted as being normal. He's targeting a, a whole generation, not just me, of thought and mind and heart. That's hard to fight, isn't it? So what are we going to watch? He's playing a long game. He's also a negative Nelly. That's a dumb word, isn't it? But you get my point. We all know a negative Nelly. If your name's Nelly, I'm sorry. <laughs> Are people still named Nelly these days? I don't even know. I'm going to get an email. I can tell already. <laughs> but that negative person, you know it, that person that just sows small seeds of negativity and then they just, that just grows. That, that gossiping and that consensus finding. I wonder if anyone else feels the same way I do. Do you feel that same way? You know, everybody feels the way I do because he found two people that say the same thing you feel. <laughs> Fueling and ne- that negative, critical spirit. I mean, I can talk to some people within five minutes. I can tell what their political bent is. I can tell what news channel they watch. I can tell their opinion on COVID. And I know what their stance is on masks and what they think about me or you wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. (laughs) Here's my opinion. Here's my thought is that everyone in the room has an opinion about COVID and whether or not you should wear a mask. Here's my statement to that. We should probably keep all those opinions to ourselves. (laughs) Because most of us aren't nice when we express our opinion. And we assume that you must think the same way I do until you offend the person that you're talking to. Our country is so divided on this issue. When they, when, when they come into this place, we need to be united. So if we can't find something nice to say, let's don't say anything at all. Satan is also a master with that negativity when he tries to get us to talk to ourselves negatively in the mirror, which we already talked about. 
He's a master at that. His ultimate goal is to get you into a depressive rumination state. That's that negative downward spiral I've talked about before. Maybe you've been in that before. Maybe you know someone who's been in that before. It's easy to recognize in someone else, and it feels like you can not get out of it if you're stuck in it. And that critical spirit, that negative Nelly critical spirit, something about social media and cable news, that seems to be what all people do is they point out everyone's flaws today. If you're on the CNN side of things, they talk all about the, this side of the political aisle. If you're on the Fox News side, they talk about this side. But it's always about the critical side of the other side. And if you spend a lot of time in those things, there's something inside of you that teaches you to point out those negative flaws on the other side. So what's ended up happening is that we're not guarding our hearts to a critical thing, and it's giving us a critical eye. And that's really, used to be being called a critical thinker was a good thing. But I'm here to tell you now that that critical thinker thing is really not a good thing anymore. I want you to be wise in your critical thinking. But Jesus doesn't call us to be critical about one another. He calls us to be loving about one another. So when you recognize that critical spirit in you, you need to recognize it's not from the Lord. It needs to be corrected. We'll talk about how we guard those things in just a minute. So we need to learn how to recognize the strategies. Those are are four. I'm sure there's more. But those are the things I see God use, I mean, Satan try to use in my life. But every time I identify one of those strategies that Satan uses in my life, I seem to get smarter and Satan's uh, uh, effectiveness lessens. And that's what I want to see happen for you. He'll lose his power, he loses his footing, and then I get stronger in my faith. I get stronger in my confidence. I get stronger in my ability to identify those areas. And ultimately, I'm going to get healthier. Spiritually, mentally, physically. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else because it determines the course of your life. Philippians 4 says, Guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So my question to you today, and you probably felt it coming, was can you think of a few places in your life where you've let your guard down when it comes to guarding your heart and your mind? Some of the things I've talked about today. What are some areas of your life that you know just are not healthy influences that you're permitting in? Can you have an honest conversation with yourself? Is it cable news? Is it social media? Is it YouTube? Is it the internet? Is it Netflix? Is it a group of friends? Is it a certain friend? While we are practicing social distancing, I've been practicing social media distancing off Instagram. For the last two months, I've been off Instagram. It has been the greatest two months of my life. I miss not seeing everything that's happening in your life, but all the other stuff that was just like, like stuff I didn't want to see, I just like, oh my gosh, what a joy. I don't think I'm going back. If you can try it, I encourage you to try it. But replace what you take away with things from God to replace, because you're going to get time back. Just don't let it fall into something else. Replace it with good things. How do we guard our hearts? So I want to give you three practical ways. Our time's going to run out. But let me give you these three practical ways because I think they're essential. I want you to think for a moment about a bouncer at a club. Now, I know that we don't go to clubs here, right? Um, but we've all seen the bouncer at the club in, in our minds or movies, right? And so picture like Jason Meekham, you know, over here standing, a big old, big old giant elder, right? 
He's standing there with a big security shirt on, and there's a big line. So how do we guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus? How do we do this? So, um, so, uh, so let's, think, let's just kind of process kind of thoughts, how they come through us, whether it's a sin or whether it's a lie. So as you go through this week, you know, you, the Holy Spirit's with you, and the Holy Spirit has an incredible opportunity to be able to give you this, uh, this guard in our life to help us understand what's good and what's bad. And so I want you to be thinking about this in a, in a, in a physical sense, kind of a guard. As something's presented to us, you have to decide what, is, what, is, what are you going to permit in? And so everything that comes up to you, you have to kind of st- stop for a second and go, wait, 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 wait. Is this a good thought? Is this a good thing that I'm, that I'm going to permit inside my heart and my mind? Is this song that I'm listening to right now on the radio, is this, is this, is this actually edifying to me? And if not, you get out of my line and you kick him out of the line like a bouncer would. If it's, if it's building value into who you are and it's, it's, it's supporting God's word, say, all right, come on in, come on in. And so whether it's a song, whether, it's a tr- whether someone's speaking to you, whether it's something you're reading, whatever it is, you're deciding whether what's coming in, what's coming out. Just like a bouncer would do in the club. Come on in. You're welcome to come in. No, no, no. You're getting out of here. But occasionally, the bouncer in the club realizes, how did that guy get in here? And the club manager walks out and says, hey, dude, there's some uh, 16-year-old kid got in here. I don't know how he got in here. I'm going to get him out of here, right? And so the bouncer goes and gets that kid and throws him out. First person causing trouble, whatever. And so sometimes you're going to find yourself and you've been duped. You're, you're, you're listening to talk radio and next thing you know, the conversation changed and you're like interested in what they're talking about. And this is getting a little raunchy or sad or, or weird or whatever. And you're like still in the conversation. But suddenly you realize, how did that get in the club? How did I let this get inside? And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I got to bounce this thing out. And you shut it out and you get rid of it. You got to go back in. You got to get that thing out. These are, these are the opportunities of how we're filtering those things out. But here's the other problem, though. Those are those, those are those fast decisions that you can make. But here's the other problem is that some things aren't those little barrages of things that you make. Sometimes you've allowed them in for a long time, and they just don't come out by escorting them out. They're a root that's deep that has to be uprooted and pulled out. And that takes a lot more work. And that's where God's Word tells us we have to uproot and we have to pull. God's Word teaches us in Ephesians chapter 4. If you jump down to Ephesians chapter 4, it tells us what we have to uproot. Verse 21, it says, Since you have heard about Jesus and you've learned the truth that it's come from Him, throw off your old sinful nature, your former way of life, which is corrupt and lust, lustful and deception, and instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes and put on your new nature to be created like God, truly righteous and holy. So he's saying, there's this old nature, you've got to get rid of it. But what we know is, is that, that, that there's things inside of us, these roots that have, to be, that have to be pulled up. And so it says in verse 30, and don't bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he's identified you as his own, guaranteeing you that you will be saved on the day of redemption. So get rid of, there's that uprooting, bitterness and rage and anger and harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. There's an uprooting that has to take place, not only in your behaviors, but also in the way that you think, but also in the lies that you've accepted and the idols that we've placed. 
And that takes a lot of work. And sometimes it's going to take work for you alone. Sometimes you got to get help with a counselor to say, help me understand what are the idols? What are the lies that I've believed? But there is some great work to be done there. And if you would do that work, you're going to see victory in your life. Most of us, are, we, we like to spend time in the simple things. And we focus on the emotional things. But the lies and the roots and the idols, folks, this is where you need to do the heavy lifting work if you want to see the big victories in your life. James 1.21 says, So get rid of all filth and evil in your lives. There's the uprooting again. And then what do you do? You humbly accept the Word of God planted in your heart. So it's uprooting and replanting. When you take out and you uproot, there should be some replanting going in place. We talked about yeast in the beginning of the message, and I want to close talking about yeast again. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 13, verse 33, he talks about yeast in a positive way. He speaks about yeast as being a yeast about the kingdom of God. Listen to what he says. He says, Jesus, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like, like the yeast a woman used in making the bread. Even though she only put a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough, referring to the kingdom of God. So there's negative examples of yeast being referred to sin and metaphors of sin. But Jesus is like, but it works the other way too. And so we need to be able to plant those good things from God. Colossians says that we should set our minds on things that are above and not on things that are on earth because we've died and our lives are hidden with Christ and God. Philippians says that we should set our mind, that, that we should, uh, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent and praiseworthy, we think about those things. We hide God's word in our hearts so we don't sin against him. And so when we, we have to be working on the hard things. We get rid of the rage and the sin. Those things are, I mean, they're kind of duh stuff, right? I mean, who, we know that we shouldn't be living a life of sin, right? We know that. And so this morning, those are the categories. Get rid of the sin. Guard your heart and your mind from that stuff that you're letting in because all it's going to do is tangle and ensnare and lead you into more of that. Guard yourself from the lies that Satan wants to plant because those lies are going to tangle and ensnare your heart and lead you to doubt the truth of God's word and they're going to lead you to more idolatry which are going to lead you into more chains and shackle you. And then you're going to have to figure out how to uproot these things because all of them are, are, are <laughs> oh man, I wish I had more time to tell you because they are attacking you and attacking God's word. They're attacking your faith and they're rendering you inoperative and useless for the kingdom of God. Yank it up and replace it with this stuff. This week's Go Deeper. You're going to hear more about it with Jason as he closes the service out. But it, it, my wife found this video that, that you're going to have access to watch about things that you need to plant inside your life. And I encourage you to watch it. It's on your Go Deeper this week. It, it, it really, if you, this message is speaking to you today, this should be your devotion tonight or tomorrow and, and to go deeper and to get this in you because I'm telling you, i am found freedom. I don't know what you're struggling with, but I found it and I want you to find it. And I'm telling you, I'm not just bluffing you. It's real. It's real. Let me pray for you and we'll 
we'll sing one final song together. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want you to think about right now, what is it in your life that you have allowed access to your mind that is finding its way to the heart? What is it that God would say, man, this is the area I need you just to get away from? And it's more than just a fast. What if, what if God said, I want that gone? I want that out of your life. It's more than just a fast, not just a 30-day thing, a 15-day 15 day thing. And if right now you're grimacing over the thought of walking away from something for 30 days or, or, or 15 days, or like if that makes you grimace, let me tell you right now, that's an idol in your life. That means that that is more important to you than God. If, if, if God is saying, take it, get rid of it, and you're saying, I can't get rid of it for more than 30 days, that's too long. It's an idol, and you have a bigger problem. I hope that you see that, and I hope you hear me say that to you in love. So, man, and I pray, if God's got his finger on something, that you would surrender it to him. Because there's so much more freedom that you can find, and it's the beginning step to find that freedom. I pray that you conquer your idols. I pray that you conquer your addictions. I pray that Satan would have no victory in terms of the darts he throws at you in the area of lies. I pray that you would be able to uncover those lies. And maybe you'll need to get help to have someone unravel or help point them out to you. But once you begin to see one, just like when you weed the yard in your front yard, you find one weed and you're like, oh, I'm going to go pull a couple weeds. You're like, oh my gosh, my yard is full of weeds. You didn't even see them all because you started looking for them the same way in your life. It's going to be the same way. I pray that you'll begin to start that process. And everything else will begin to fade away. So we're going to sing a song together. With every head bowed and every eye closed, we're going to sing a song called Fade Away. If you're not in it, I don't want it. That's the lyrics of the song you're getting ready to sing. Let me pray for you and make this our call today. Father, I pray right now that you would allow us to adjust ourselves to you. If you're not in it, I don't want it. Let all else fade away. May we sing this song with sincerity of heart. And I pray with feet that are willing to be obedient, whatever you got our finger on, Father, that we'd say, okay, here it goes. I'm going to walk away from that. Close the door on this. To take control away from Satan and put control with you. Wow. Can't wait to see the results, Father. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.